You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. Guys, we are officially two years old. Been doing this for two years now, the Bon Appetit Foodcast. And it's our Thanksgiving spectacular. We got a lot on the table today. It's like the Thanksgiving meal itself. So much. First up, Claire Saffitz uh, from the BA Test Kitchen, along with associate editor Emil Stonic, walk us through cooking the entire Thanksgiving meal in just 36 hours. It's true. It's possible. You can do this, and they explain how. And then Claire and Rick came up here to the studio to talk to me about Pie 101. You know, who's on Team Fruit? Who's on Team Custard? Who's on Team Pecan? That would be me. And finally, Marissa A. Ross, our wine columnist, schools us on the do's and don'ts of wine drinking at the Thanksgiving table. All right, let's do this. The Thanksgiving Spectacular. Thanks for listening, guys. Claire and Emil, welcome back. Thank you. So, Emil, this whole 36-hour idea was was yours? Well, it was really a... Uh, and Elena Sullivan, who is the designer on the story, just kind of sitting down and trying to, you know, our mandate was to create a Thanksgiving menu that could be executed within 36 hours, start to finish, Wednesday morning to Thursday night, um, with like a minimum of equipment and kind of know-how and experience cooking for a lot of people and like not a fully stocked pantry. All right, I'm going to jump right in. Maxine Rappaport, my mom. Yep. I have to hide this article from her. Maybe maybe your mom's like this, Claire, but my mom, like three weeks before Thanksgiving, she'll have made the chicken stock, labeled it, it's in the freezer. A week before Thanksgiving, the table is literally set with the little like turkey place cards and turkey chocolates and stuff. Claire's over here nodding. Yeah. You can relate to that, right? Yes. Well, that is me, typically, in my family's Thanksgiving. And so for the last several years in a row, that's been my process of like start, make your shopping list three weeks in advance, get the, tur- you know, order the turkey do your stock, make your pie dough and freeze it. Um, and then last year or the year before, I you know we sat down to Thanksgiving and in 20 minutes, the entire family is stuffed and full mm-hmm. and ready for dessert. And I kind of was like, I kind of looked at the spread and was like, is this really worth it to spend three weeks prepping for Thanksgiving? So I think this story kind of came out of the idea that like you don't actually need to spend three weeks getting ready for Thanksgiving to make a really delicious dinner. And then it kind of became our guide to like, you know, if you're throwing Thanksgiving for the first time or like, you know, the, the really walking you through the steps to the meal without having to. If you're, you know, one, if you're one of those millennials one you've of never, those, and you've never right. done this before. All right. So a meal millennial that you are. Let's get started. What's what's the very first step? We're going to bang through this 36 hours. Let's go. Clock's ticking. So the first thing that you're doing is you're going to the grocery store. This is like you're waking up on Wednesday morning and you're like. There is no time to waste. You are going to the grocery store. It is not a pretty day to be at the grocery store Wednesday before Thanksgiving, maybe the worst day. Yeah. But if Um, you got to do it, what's the strategy? How do you do? What do you do? Well, Claire put together an incredible shopping list that's in the back of the magazine, Mm -hmm. and it's organized by the departments in the grocery store. Ooh, like the aisles. Exactly. So that's like really, I don't know, Claire, if you, because Claire actually shopped this when she was testing so it's like it in real time. nuts and flowers then you've got like the fresh stuff and so right. you, you go by you you tear that out and you you have a list you buy every single thing you need right. for all the recipes and it also has a list of the things that we're kind of assuming that you have yeah there's a very minimal list of staples that we assume people have like salt and pepper yes. maybe a little flour um so it's organized by section of the grocery store to help you have maximum efficiency the only thing we say the only caveat is that you really really should think about getting a turkey before the day before Thanksgiving. Okay, before we get into the actual cooking, because the menu, you've got a roast turkey, you've got a cranberry chutney with orange, you have fennel celery salad, you've got 
lemony roasted Brussels sprouts with bacon and breadcrumbs, mashed potatoes with chives, cheesy sausage and sage stuffing. Mm, God, that sounds good. And an apple pan dowdy. Um, so you buy all these ingredients, you bring them home. But let's before we get into it, Emil, let's talk about the turkey, fresh versus frozen. So basically, you if you are shopping the day before Thanksgiving, you need a fresh turkey, like a not frozen turkey. Not, and that just means refrigerated. It doesn't necessarily mean one of these heirloom organic no, super no. fancy ones, but just a not frozen solid no, one. No, because it will take several days for a turkey to thaw in the refrigerator. And no matter how much you think you can rush it by putting it in mm-hmm. water mm-hmm. or hot water or cold water or using a blow dryer or like or putting whatever. that really giant microwave you have. Yeah, no, don't. Don't even. <laughs> just buy a couple of chickens. If, yeah. if you go to the store and there's only frozen turkeys... Get three chickens and call it a day. Typically, in a magazine like ours or a cookbook, you cook a recipe start to finish. That's how the instructions go. Um, here, we're like, you've got prep all the little things. You For the stuffing, you're peeling and chopping all the onions and celery and carrots, whatever, I guess. Not carrots. Maybe we just made that up. Um, you're grating the cheddar cheese for the salad. You're you know washing the salad. You're chopping the walnuts. You're kind of putting all these things in resealable plastic bags and containers and stuff, correct? So tomorrow, a.k.a. Thursday, they're ready to go. Exactly. It's almost like you work at a a sweet greens or a chopped salad place and you have all your little bins of prepped ingredients. And I think part of it is like we leave that up to the reader most of the time when we write recipes. And this was really trying to say like instead of like, oh, yeah, figure out how to make this all happen in a reasonable time frame and not be stressed out. We're like, we don't assume that you necessarily know how to do that because it's hard. It takes, you know, you have to cook for a long time to really get that, you know, in your muscle memory. So yeah, so by Thursday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, you'll you'll have a lot of chopped and peeled things in little containers ready to go. But Wednesday afternoon, I'm reading, or kind of late afternoon, five to eight p.m. Emil, you you recommend maybe ordering a pizza and a six pack, and like let's do some actual cooking now. So you can actually make some things, Claire. You can actually bake the dessert, start to finish, and make some cranberry chutney. Is that correct? Yeah, we broke out everything that you can possibly do the day before. You should do the day before in this case. So make the cranberry sauce, and my my mom makes cranberry sauce. A month in advance, you can easily make it the day before. Wow, you just threw her mom some shade. No, she real? she makes <laughs> so crazy. She lo- she loves grammar sauce. There's like eight different kinds. Um, but so like that can be done well in advance, and that's a very easy recipe. It's just kind of like throw everything in the pot and boil it together. Um, and you should definitely bake the dessert ahead of time and just warm it up the next day. So I'm intimidated by desserts. That's one thing I always feel like. I is this? Oh, what, talk to me about this. Dessert. Yes, this is the dessert for you. This okay. is an apple pan dowdy, which is sort of like a pie with no bottom crust, basically. Hmm. Okay. And we're not asking. Asking anyone to make pastry because Thank that has you. to be chilled and that can be intimidating. Yeah, it is. So I'm not telling anyone to make pastry. So this uses a store-bought puff pastry, and so you buy it frozen, Preach. and then Preach, Claire Seth. It's really good. We use the Defour brand. We always talk about it. It's all butter. Just buy a brand that uses all butter. Um, and then usually it comes frozen. So as soon as you get home, put it in the fridge to thaw out, so that by the time it's evening and you're ready to make the dessert, um, it's ready to go. And it's really just chopped up apple tossed with brown sugar. Um, there's a little brown butter, which is the one sort of like fancy mm. element to this dessert. That's just butter in a frying pan. Right? Yeah, just cook the butter <laughs> until it that. turns brown. There you go. Um, and cinnamon? Drizzle, drizzle it on top. little cinnamon, mm-hmm. some warm spice. Um, and then it bakes for, I think, like uh, almost uh, all, all total, like almost an hour until the pastry is really brown and bubbling. And then bring it out of the oven and let it cool overnight and just kind of keep it in the corner and you can heat it up right before the meal. And if you want, I noticed that you like sort of cut the puff pastry into little like sort of like parallelograms almost and put them all over the top to yeah, make it look pretty? They're ki- it's kind of like roughly cut up into sort of one to two inch pieces. All right. So you got your chutney, you got your baked dessert, you can make salad dressing. We know how to make salad dressing. This is an important thing. 
Um, you need to season the turkey ahead of time to really infuse it with flavor, right? You yes. want to get started the day before? Yes. This will help you out a lot. And this is not only a good thing to get out of the way the night before, but it will really make your turkey better. It's to season it ahead of time. Um, our recipe uses just salt and pepper. And then a little bit, if you have like a spice mix that you like, or you have some ground fennel or some ground cumin seed or something, you can add that to the spice mix just for flavor. Um, but the roast turkey method that this uh, re- that this whole story uses is just a very simple roast turkey. It's like there's no fancy tricks. We're not brining it. We're not submerging it in no. a bathtub. No, full which of and whatever. no one has a bucket big enough or a fridge <sighs> big enough for that um, for a mm-hmm. wet brine. So just season it ahead of time, and then it's uh, we we tell the reader to leave a little butter out overnight so that by the time you wake up in the morning, it's softened and that gets smeared over the bird and then it's roasted. And I've tried roasting turkey so many different ways, and I'm not sure it's ever better than just putting some butter on it and putting it in the oven. All right, so you wake up Thursday morning. I'm like, oh, my God, is the people are coming over at 4 p.m. I got to get going. Uh, Emil, you recommend caffeinating, I guess? Good start. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, th- that's the thing is, like, you got to compose yourself. You know, you want to wake up with enough time to, like, have a cup of coffee, eat, eat breakfast. some breakfast. Yes. But the first thing you have to do that is the most important thing, as soon as you wake up, like, while you're still in your pajamas, whatever, like, bleary-eyed, coffee-less, is to take the turkey out of the fridge because the turkey does need some several hours to come up mm. to temperature because it's such a big piece of meat. Yeah. So you do that first, and then you can kind of, okay. you know, okay. like, you know, check Instagram, drink coffee, whatever. And then obviously if you're the one doing all the cooking, perhaps you have a spouse or a partner or someone who's on – table duty and they're the one who's setting the table and maybe putting flowers out or whatever it is you're doing. Well, you know, we actually said that, you know, the day before, if if you're not totally burnt out on all of your prep the night before, that is a good time to set the table, to pick out what platters you want to use, which takes a surprising amount of time where you're like, oh, wait, I actually don't have enough things to put all of this stuff on. And that's a good point you also bring up in terms of when your friends or family are coming over, who you delegate to do what. Like, all right, you, I need two big bowls for the Brussels sprouts and the mashed potatoes. You bring three bottles of wine like right. to really get people involved, but in a very designated sort of way. Yeah, I mean, you're cooking dinner for eight people. You can yeah. be bossy, you know? Ooh, Everybody nice. else is like, Thank you. you know, it's, I, I don't know. It's not too much to ask. And in, in that prep list, we actually break down what you should tell your different friends to bring. You know, everybody's got to bring wine. Somebody's got to bring all of the unaccounted for plates or chairs or whatever, you know. Speaking of of being bossy and point number five uh, on this uh, primer, uh, it's it's 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Thursday, we're saying. Um, It says, bake it like you mean it. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Yeah, this part's a little bit of a dance. So the most important thing is that you're roasting your turkey, but that takes you know several hours. So but you got to do the math. You have to know well, my turkey's been there for three hours. I need to get other stuff. Well, in we there did before the math right, after. Right, yeah. right. So we try to lay it out as simply as possible so that it, you have like something coming out of the oven, another thing going in while the turkey's still roasting. Um, so the recipes that we have, um, one of them that I really like is this is a baked mashed potato. Ooh. One thing I hate is like boiling this big thing of water on the stove with the potatoes. All and you the dump water it out, out and then the steam, splosh, yeah, steam it, burns. Yeah, it's, it can be a little bit like if you have like a really big pot for a ton of people, it's <sighs> a little scary. Good. Kids so, running around. Yeah, it's just you know why why go through that so this recipe has you bake potatoes in the oven while you're roasting your turkey and then you pull them out the turkey stays in um 
and then you're kind of scooping the like softened potato out of the skins and putting them in a pot and then they get mixed with a little garlic was in with the potato so you have like, like roasted roast garlic, garlic yeah. yeah so after the potatoes come out the turkey is still roasting and that's when you so you've already assembled according to this schedule you've assembled your sausage stuffing um, it has like little brown bits of sausage and cheddar cheese and bread mm. it's really delicious mm. um, and that's just kind of sitting off to the side and that goes in the oven when the potatoes come out so the turkey's still in there so there's two racks there's a bottom bottom rack and that's where you're putting the potatoes or the stuffing you have one a medium middle mid rack where the turkey is um, also with, with stuffing um getting back to maxine rapaport if i may um you know having homemade turkey stock is great uh it enriches all sorts of things it moistens but you know the box chicken stock from this from the grocery store is fine right yeah i mean i, I think that's the you know speaks to the the whole this whole package it's like you know can you improve on this? Like, sure, but like, by what degree? And it's like making turkey stock like a month in advance. That's great if you if if, it, if yeah. that's your thing. We're not yucking your yum. Just like, but if wow. you know, if you don't have time, yeah, the yeah. box chicken stock is gonna be fine. I am. Um, I was the other day uh, cooking with our. I wasn't cooking. I was just eating. But my friends Gabe and Sam were making dinner, and and Gabe decided he wanted to make stuffing with some roast chickens we were making, and he made. I want to say the best stuffing I've ever had, and it was wow. with like some wow. torn up sourdough or something with really good. Sausage from a local farm and sage and onions and carrots and everything. And then just lots of boxed chicken stock. So it was super moist. Mm. Hit it with the broiler at the end. So it was all crispy on top. Yeah, Pepperidge Farm vibe. Good God, was that tasty. Um, All right, so we got all that going on. Um, We're we're getting there. We're getting there. It's about 3 p.m. right now. Friends are going to be coming over in, let's say, an hour. Uh, and then we got to uh, we, we still got to cook the Brussels sprouts, mashed potatoes have to get finished off. We have to make a gravy. So this is like when the stovetop comes into play. Like the oven has sort of done its work at this point, right? Yes, correct. So your turkey is resting. That's really important. That that's just off to the side. We use the back of the stove a lot. Like mm-hmm. it's a warm place. If your oven's been on, keep everything back there and just kind of like off to the side in a holding pattern. Cool. Um, and then you are yeah you're cooking your uh, Brussels sprouts. So. Um, those that's a recipe where you like really brown these halved Brussels sprouts until they get really soft and tender and like a little bit charred. And then you're adding the fresh leaves that you kind of tr- used to trim off around the outsides and Ooh, tossing those in. Nice. So you get a little like a little bit of a raw crunch and this really like delicious, soft, sort of deeply cooked flavor. Um, the mashed potatoes, once they're mashed, those can get we put a little floater on top of those to help save them. That's a good trick for making mashed potatoes in advance. So you had a mixture of melted butter and half and half. Instead of folding it all in, float a little bit on top of the mashed potatoes in the saucepan and then, and then the, cover and, it. And then when you're ready to serve, you fold it fold in it to in. sort of yeah. re-moisten. Yeah, and so um, it doesn't form a skin okay, also. I think in addition to uh, making fancy desserts, which I'm intimidated by, um, making the gravy is always intimidating because that's something yes. you, you still got to make gravy in this menu, right? Right, and that's something that's you have you end up doing right before guests come. And so you're like really stressed out and like just frazzled a little bit getting everything together. And so you don't want to mess it up. Um, This recipe uses it's called we are calling it a no roux gravy. So you don't have to do that step where you're cooking. You're like taking all the drippings out Mm, and and like, you know, stirring in flour and making this this mixture that then thickens the gravy. Um, So instead uh, one of the things we included in the recipe with the roast turkey is it's an optional thing, but it's like ch- uh, extra chicken wings. So we're not calling for homemade chicken stock and, and no roux. Um, but basically you're taking all of the drippings in the pan, which includes all the aromatics, and sprinkling a little flour over top. And that goes back into a hot oven and that's toasting. And then that's the base of your gravy. So to that, you're just adding store-bought chicken stock. 
and kind of simmering it on the back of your stove until it's thickened. Um, and so you have all the flavor from the turkey. Um, and it's a really great shortcut. And then at the end, you're just straining. And a little bit of soy sauce. Yeah. I oh, like right. That. That's the finishing touch at the end. It adds good color, but also seasoning. So yeah. that, that's a fun little yeah. trick. It's not going to taste like. No, you're like, ooh, that's good. What is that? Yeah, it's just going to give it a little seasoning, a little umami. Again, for first timers who have never hosted before, carving a turkey is not that easy. Uh, but if you know the right way, it's a lot of fun. We have a cool video with the two butchers from White Gold. Mm-hmm. And we have a video at bonappetit.com slash turkey dash carving. Uh, and it kind of explains why you should never carve your turkey at the table. <laughs> uh, that it is like you got to get in there and cut yeah. and pull and chop through. and, and but, it, but if you do it the right way, it's you present it and it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, you know, you're just trying to at the the most basic, you're trying to get the meat off of the bird so people can put it on their plates, you know, and that's like <laughs> the, it's not like the Norman Rockwell, like uh, like the patriarch carving slices of breast meat and passing around the table. It's like that just doesn't happen. No. You know, so and also, you know, in this, you know, in the the last kind of home stretch of uh, where you're kind of juggling everything, trying to get everything on the table, tossing the salad, all of that. It's like, we also tell you, you know, if you, you've got your friend who's like sitting in the corner, like on their phone, just tell them to carve the turkey. Tell them to watch the <laughs> yeah, video, delegate. go into the kitchen and... Emil, you're not going to let your friend on the phone carve the turkey. Come yeah. on, let's be honest. No, you're not. You're going to let them, op- you're going to let them run to the know. store to buy more ice. You're not going to let them carve the turkey. You know, maybe, uh, maybe I'm feeling generous this year. <laughs> and there you go. And Claire, any, any, any final thoughts on our 36 hour Thanksgiving? I think the final thought would be don't stress out too much because you, all of your friends are just going to be very grateful that you cooked them or tried to cook them Thanksgiving dinner. So don't stress. And at the end, when you're like absolutely frantic and struggling, just delegate. Yeah. And they'll probably be a little drunk also. So they're just happy right. to be there. Someone's definitely on wine duty who's coming over. Yeah. So yeah. we got Do that. Do not run out of wine. All right. A meal. And Claire, thank you so much. You can check out uh, their Thanksgiving primer called the 36-Hour Thanksgiving in the November issue of Bon Appetit. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks to Claire and Emil. Now up, Carla Lolly Music and the BA Thanksgiving Hotline. Hi, my name is Caitlin Parton, and I am from Fort Walton Beach, Florida. And my question is, my husband and I are eating sort of an elimination diet. Um, we're on the Whole30 food fad for the rest of the month, and we'd like to carry it on into the new year. So through the holidays, we are looking for some creative ways to make some vegetable dishes that feel really homey and savory and still feel like we're indulging a little bit on Thanksgiving in particular. So if you guys have any suggestions on what we could make, or even a twist on a classic variation, keeping the ingredients really simple. Um, I'd love to hear that. Thank you. All right, Caitlin, that's very brave and virtuous of you. And if you're not going to set Thanksgiving away as one of the whole 30s that didn't make it into the 30, um, this is what I would suggest. I think that in order for a vegetable dish to feel homey and satisfying. It needs really deep flavor. And I think for a lot of us, the holidays is also associated with a bit of sweetness. So we have our sweet potatoes and we have our roasted vegetables and um, 
all of those things have sort of an undercurrent of, you know, rich kind of wintry, a little bit sweet stick to your ribs. So these are a couple of ideas. Collard greens, which is um, a big part of Thanksgiving tables and is in season and is on your diet from what I can tell. So delicious when they're cooked down, really, really, really tender. And if you can have meat as part of this diet, I would throw a little ham hock in there as they're cooking down. And a lot of slow cooked onions will also give it a depth um, and a deliciousness that you wouldn't be able to get elsewhere. And then to finish that dish just for a little bit more character and savoriness, you could put a little bit of tamari or uh, Bragg's amino acids or soy sauce, which just has that kind of umami flavor. Another recipe that I would recommend is out of our November issue, the Thanksgiving issue. It is a Hasselbeck butternut squash where you par cook the squash and then in halves and then you slice it and then re-roast it again and it gets a little bit of sweetness and a little bit of chili in the magazine. So for you, because I don't think you can have that sweetener, but you can have the chilies, I would mash up some dates um, or use date syrup if you can and use that to glaze the sweet potatoes to brown them and then use some uh, sliced fresh Fresno or jalapeno chilies. And then you're going to get something that's a little bit starchy. It's soft. It's comforting. It's sweet. It's fallish. And then it's also got sweetness from the dates and a little kick from the chilies. I think that sounds like a perfect go with. Hi, this is Michael Valarelli calling. I'm from Ridgewood, Queens. I had a question regarding When somebody invites you to Thanksgiving dinner, if it's a family member or a friend or something, is bringing dessert, pre-cooked dessert, or a a bottle of wine enough? Do people inherently expect you to make something to bring? Because the whole point of going out for Thanksgiving is that you don't have to worry about cooking. And, you know, I just, as a neurotic person who has cooked in restaurants, Cooking something for a large group of people kind of freaks me out because you don't want to hear negative comments and your crazy Italian family, like, asking why there are cranberries with the Brussels sprouts or something. Um, So if my uncle invites us over for Thanksgiving, can I just bring some cannoli, some sporeatelle, some something like that and have it be okay? All right, Michael, this is a great question, and not only for all the neurotic Italians in Queens, okay? First rule of whether or not you should bring something to somebody else's house for Thanksgiving is just ask the host or the hostess. I can tell you from personal experience, my mom does not want anybody bringing anything over unless she asked you to. Uh, a bottle of wine is always a great idea as long as they're they're drinkers. Just don't expect them to open it that night. If you brought a nice bottle over, you're psyched about it, but then they put it over on the sideboard. That's because they already picked out a wine for the night. It 
is not an insult to you. And if it's a gift, they can drink it whenever they want. If the host says, yes, please do. We would love an extra dessert. Ask them specifically, what would be, what What do you really want? And then go get them that because this is, you know, you're going to somebody's house. They've planned the menu. They've thought about it. They know what they want. And if they're like my Italian family and they say, no, 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 don't bring anything. Just bring your appetite and your beautiful face. Bring a little something, um, but you never want to upstage what the hostess has planned, right? That's bad form. But a really nice box of chocolates or some sea salt caramels or, you know, something like that that could be passed with coffee or could go on the table as an accompaniment to the dessert. Another cute idea that would definitely not have any of the the hangups about making something for the meal for that night and having everybody judge you, bring over a jar of mayo, a really good loaf of white Pullman bread and, uh, you know, some mustard and tell them it's for their sandwich leftovers the next day. That will probably get you a smile. And uh, it's something that they'll enjoy after all the hoo-ha is over. Hello, bon appetit. Uh, My name is Jane. I'm 26 years old and I'm calling from Madrid, Spain. I somehow elected myself to cook a full Thanksgiving meal for 10 Spanish friends who have never celebrated Thanksgiving before. And now that I'm thinking about that, I've um, started to kind of stress myself out a bit. So I've got a couple questions. The first one would be, what dishes would you recommend to prepare ahead of time? What can I cook the day before? And another question, I would like to have some, have it be somewhat of a traditional Thanksgiving menu, um, but some ingredients are not available here in Spain. For example, the green beans with cream of mushroom soup, I think it is, which is not available here. Too bad. So if you could uh, hook me up with an alternative recipe for green beans, that would be great. I think that's it. Thank you. Hey, Jane. So Thanksgiving in Madrid sounds awesome. I wish that's what I was doing. You're so generous and really smart to be thinking about this stuff. So I think that first question is, can you get a turkey in Madrid? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. But I know in Italy, they're kind of rare. I've been in Italy for Thanksgiving. So if you can't get a turkey, one thing that Spain is famous for, as I'm sure you already know, is all of their pork products, um, most delicious hams in the world. So I would do something, if you can't get the turkey, I would do something like a, a pork shoulder, which maybe doesn't feel exactly the same as having a presentation turkey to bring out to the table, but the ham is really impressive and uh, you can still make a centerpiece with it. And even better, you could cook it one or two days ahead of time. You, um, We have a ton of recipes for roasted or braised pork shoulder on our website. Um, you really just cook them until they collapse and then it's just pull apart tender and gets a glaze and you just have to heat it up. The other dish, so you mentioned green beans with um, cream of mushroom soup. There are beautiful mushrooms in Spain. So I would go and sort of take a look at what's local and abundant and just look the best. Mushrooms should be 
you know, moist and not shriveled and not feel moldy at all. And what I would do with those is one or two days ahead, tear them or cut them into bite-sized pieces, put them in a resealable bag or something airtight. And then I would, while the turkey was resting, uh, cook out some shallots, saute the mushrooms until they're nice and brown, um, put a splash of a dry sherry, Spain, and uh, just sort of scrape up any bits on the bottom of the pan and then finish that with a little bit of heavy cream. It's going to give you all those traditional flavors of the cream of mushroom soup, um, but it's going to be mostly mushrooms. I think they'll go with everything else on the table. Hi, I'm a big fan. My name is Samira from Cedar Knolls, New Jersey, and my question is this. Every Thanksgiving, I have loads and loads of leftovers of every item that I make. What's a good way to make just enough for everyone to eat but not be ashamed when something runs out? Thank you. All right, Samira, you sound like the classic overachiever type. This is what I would say. First of all, figure out how many people are coming. And if you are one of those people who the guest list keeps growing and growing and growing and you've got to just plan for more than are expected because you don't know who's coming, I get it. And in that case, you're going to have to make a little bit more just to be on the safe side. But if you know who is coming and you have a list um, and that list is firm, you know, go by... Um, our recipes, which have very specific serving sizes, and we really think about this stuff. We're not guessing. We, When we prepare the recipes here in the test kitchen, we really kind of take a look at what we've got and decide how many it's going to serve. So broad strokes. A 12 to 14 pound turkey is going to serve eight people. Um, if you're making mashed potatoes, figure a pound of potatoes will feed uh, every two or three people at the table. So if you have, you know, 12 people coming, you need four pounds of potatoes. If you are making a nice crisp salad to go with this stuff, then figure a nice big handful per person, and then you can eyeball it when you're washing the greens or whatever it is. And then, you know, it's Thanksgiving. It's supposed to be a feast. I think having a little bit more than is expected is okay. But if you're over it and you don't want any of this stuff in your house the day after Thanksgiving, tell all of your guests to bring uh, carry out containers or um, their own Tupperware. And at the end of the meal, when the buffet is still sitting there, tell everybody to have at it and take all the food out of your house for you, and then you won't have any leftovers. Hi, my name's Kim from Acton, California, and my question is, do you have any tips for a potluck Thanksgiving? Thank you. All right, Kim, I've never been invited to a potluck Thanksgiving. I wish I wish somebody would invite me over for one. It'd be awesome. If you are the person hosting, you've got to have a plan, a chart, assignments, um, I find there's a lot of good apps for this. Uh, Google Docs I've used for um, sharing files with friends before. Set it up. Figure out how many apps you want, how many sides, how many salads, how many main courses, and make sure that people only can fill in however many you want. So you can't have 10 pumpkin pies. So if you have all this stuff on a document that everybody can see, it eliminates like all of those double ups. If you're bringing to somebody else and they haven't gone to the trouble to like set up a a menu or a chart for everybody to follow, I would just ask the host, like, what do you need the most of, you know, what are, 
what are what is everybody offering to bring you want to bring the other thing so um just ask the host like do you have enough entrees do you need salads do you have too many pies do you need appetizers for people even drinks and stuff like that often get overlooked at potlucks because everybody's thinking about what they're going to put on their plate and then if none of that is available to you and you're just kind of winging it this is my advice you want to bring the thing that isn't already there. So think about the most obvious things that people are going to volunteer for. The potato casserole, the pumpkin pie, the Brussels sprouts, the turkey. You know that that's all going to be on the table. So this is a great opportunity to kind of take a risk, introduce some other flavors to the table. Maybe you're doing collards, but you're going to do like a spicy ginger and garlic collards. That will probably be very appreciated because there's so much of the things that everybody expects. So it's a fun time to kind of go off script a little bit. You can stay in the same family, squash and sweet potatoes, greens, um, but just play up the flavor profile a little bit and do something different. And you definitely want to think about things that will be delicious at room temperature. Um, So if it has to be piping hot to be good and you're going to need to ask the host for room in her oven, that's not the dish you want to bring because now you're a burden instead of being like your awesome self. So think room temp, think spicy, fresh, and think unexpected and have fun. Hi, my name is Sarah Bishop. I'm from San Diego, California, and this is our family's first Thanksgiving with a baby. So By Thanksgiving, my daughter will be eight months old. So my question is, what are some Thanksgiving classics that I can simplify and make easier uh, just to help save um, time and make things easier for me as a busy mom? Thanks so much. Bye. All right, Sarah, I'm going to just assume that you do need my help, even though I think that you are already thinking about this really smartly and strategically. This is what you want to do because you have an eight month old. They're on an unpredictable schedule and you can do your prep here and there. But like you said, you're not going to set yourself up for three hours and expect that you can do a recipe from beginning to end without being interrupted by someone who wants to be picked up and go somewhere and play with a ball, which is probably a funner way to spend the day anyway. So this is what I would do. Instead of the cranberry sauce, I would make a chutney, a cranberry chutney that can be made because it has sort of a higher sugar content. You could make that four or five or six days ahead, put it in the fridge, take it out the morning of, it'll be room temperature. It'll be great. Instead of brining your turkey or even worrying about cooking a whole turkey, which The breast and the legs cook at different rates and carving it is so hard and it takes up so much room if you're brining it in a wet brine. Just season two or however many you need for how many people are coming over. Get yourself bone-in skin on turkey breasts. Season them really, really well with salt and pepper because salt and pepper makes everything delicious. Do that two days ahead, three days ahead, whenever you want to. Two to three, it's going to be great. The seasoning will penetrate. It'll be delicious. And then you're just roasting those. And it's all one size. It's going to come to temperature at the same time. It's much easier to handle than a whole turkey. Instead of stuffing, which involves, you know, staling the bread, tossing it, 
getting it moist with stock and then cooking out all your aromatics. I would recommend looking for a savory bread pudding recipe, which you need stale bread. So that's great. You can kind of get that shopping done a few days in advance and let it dry out. And then you just have to make a, a custard and pour it over and bake it. It still gives you the crispy bits on the top. It's still that sort of stuffing, hearty, carby side dish, but way, way less trouble. Um, and the mashed potatoes as well can be a pain in the tookie-tookie because you're boiling, draining, ricing, mixing. So we have a recipe that's going to be on our website. It's for a one-pot mashed potato where you cook the ma- you cook the potatoes with the cream and the milk and some garlic cloves, salt and pepper in the same pot that you mash them in. And Thanksgiving is about family and having a great time. If there's a couple of lumps in your mashed potatoes, that is a beautiful and wonderful thing. You don't have to go to the trouble to make like a totally luxurious, perfectly smooth mashed potato. You cook everything in the pot. You take your masher, you mash it directly in the pot, and you can do that. I've done a version of this every year for about eight years. You can absolutely do that in the morning mash the potatoes all the way through, check the seasoning, and then just float a little bit of butter on top, put um, a piece of foil directly against the surface of the mashed potatoes, set them on the back of the stove, and then right before you want to eat, you just heat it up over low heat, stirring. They will be awesome. I hope this helps and have fun with the baby. Thanks so much, Carla. Now let's talk about pie with Claire and Rick. Guys, I um, I thought there'd be pies. I have a pecan pie downstairs. Literally. Literally. You just have one on the counter. I mean, at all times. <laughs> we have we've consistently had at least one full pie in the test kitchen for the last four months, every day. Gearing up to Thanksgiving. Yes. Uh, well, we we and- have uh, pie crust in the freezer at all times. For the ready. For emergencies. <laughs> All right. So let's talk Thanksgiving pies. Um, both of you, Claire and you in particular, are like the, the pie maven uh, of the Bon Appetit world. Um, you got to have pies on Thanksgiving, right? Absolutely. More than anything else. More than turkey. What goes into a classic apple pie? You made one the other day for a staff gathering. And it's just that when you walk in the room, Rick, and you just there's that smell of a freshly baked oh. apple pie. And you're like, oh. Right. So classic American. And I think I like a deep dish apple pie. I really like to load it up with apples. So I think the apples that you should use for pies are apples that you like to eat out of hand. So very firm apples, very crisp texture, and they should have a good sweet tart balance. So not too tart, not too sweet when you are just eating them raw. But not those like mushy Macintosh that you got in your school lunch as a kid. No. Do not use Red Delicious. Yeah. Just don't. All right. So you got a bunch of apples. You peel them. The Let's talk the crust first, um, because you do a your crust. I'm always amazed by just they're salty, they're sweet, they're brown. Like, what's the crust technique? I'm I'm, I'm beaming. Ba so best. I'm so flattered. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So pie crust. I've made it a thousand times, and every time I make it, it's like a little bit different. It depends on the flour you're using, the moisture in the air, the season. Um. But at its core, it's a really, really simple thing. It's just butter worked into a mixture of flour with a little bit of salt and sugar. 
and br- uh, brought together with a little bit of ice water. All right, key moves. Oh, uh, do you freeze the butter? Do you do that thing? Like, how do I you- don't freeze the butter. So the key to pie dough is that when you roll it out, the butter flattens into these really thin sheets, and that's what gives you that that like very shattery layered texture. Because when the butter melts, it creates like pockets. Right. Yeah. Right. So if the butter is frozen, it actually won't flatten as mm, easily. So okay. fridge fridge temp is good for for that butter. And we use a food processor. It makes it really fast. So you're basically having to work the butter into little bits. We use the recipe language like pea-sized clumps of butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do it in a food processor. You put all your flour in there, and then you pulse the butter in. You chop up the butter first, pulse it in, and then transfer that mixture to a bowl and work in the ice water by oh, hand. Oh, so you put the ice water in after. Yes. Okay, so so the, the, the flour and the butter incorporate in the processor. Then you put in the bowl. You pour in the very super cold water. Yes. And then you use your hands to pull I it together? Start, I start with a fork because uh-huh. the flour will get will start to stick to your hands, and mm-hmm. that makes it harder to work with. Um, the ice water is so that you don't develop gluten. You don't mm-hmm. want a chewy crust. You want a tender crust. So um, use very cold water. I also add a little bit of apple cider vinegar, which I know is a trick Rick also uses. Um, and so the trick then is to bring it together very quickly and not add too much water. Mm-hmm. So you don't want the crust to be really, really wet. Yep. Again, that makes it tougher. So just as it starts to come together, in that point you're using your hands, and when it comes together, you pack it yes. into a disc? Yes. And then wrap it in plastic. And then put it back in the fridge? Yeah. Now, Rick, I know you've seen this before. I've walked in the test kitchen sometimes, and I'm like, whoa, what is Claire so mad at? She's got this, like, this, this giant wooden mount, just like whack, whack, whack. She, she really mistreats her dough. I know. So what are you doing there? You're, you're... Okay, th- yeah, this is very important. I thought you're supposed to roll out pie dough. Yeah, you're no, like I eventually, it up. Yeah, eventually I roll it out. But so you want the, the, the enemy of, of good, crispy, shattery pie dough is warm butter. So you want to roll out the dough while it's very cold. And if you let it, but it's also very, very hard because you haven't added a lot of water. So the key is to beat the dough. This is something I saw Julia Child do on The French Chef years ago. You you have that disc of dough about probably six inches in diameter or so? Yeah, it's maybe three quarters of an inch thick. And you have to roll it out to like an eighth inch thickness to to line the pie plate. So uh, I use a dowel style rolling pin. So I start whacking the dough all over and I'm rotating the disc. And this is helping to soften the butter without heating it up. When you do the top, you often do nice little decoration sort of things. But part of the decorations, I'm assuming you need slits so the steam can escape with an yes. apple pie? Yeah. So an apple pie, typically, traditionally, it's a full top crust. So it's not a lattice. It's mm. a full layer of dough covering the top. And yeah, you need to cut slits so that the steam, steam can escape and you help the juices concentrate and you don't like basically like blow a blow a hole yeah. in the top of the pie. Um, Rick, did you notice, we I said we had this staff meeting the other day, and Claire baked this pie, but she did that thing where the meeting was starting, and she had to cut the pie before it fully cooled. Right. That's a that's a cardinal sin, right? It is a cardinal sin, but it's one that we all make because, it's, I mean, especially being in the test kitchen, that smell starts walking yeah, you're out. Like, I got to have Apples it. and cinnamon yeah. and butter. It's, I mean... You should see us this week in particular. We baked so many pies, and we'd walk by the oven, and you'd smell the butter and the crust going, and you know we're salivating, yeah. like dying for and that pie to come again. out. And yeah. I, I'm sorry to throw you under the bus, Claire, but <laughs> um, but the meeting was starting. People wanted some, and the tell us what tell us what why why you don't why you have to wait to slice a pie. What what's the what goes wrong? Yeah. So you have in the filling. So this was an apple pie. I had pink lady apples mm-hmm. and cinnamon and some butter and, and brown sugar. The the juices, I baked that pie for almost two hours, so I baked my pies a long time, and that lets the juices... What temperature? 
at, I started it a little hot at like 400, 425, and then I turned it down once the crust started to brown so it, to 350. Okay. And it went most of the way at 350. And then at the end, it started to get a little dark. It turned it down even further to 325. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want those juices are really, really hot and bubbling by the time you take the pie out. That's how you know that the thickener has activated and that you're not going to have a really liquidy pie. What thickener? I use cornstarch. Oh, so you do? I was going to ask. So that's okay? A little bit, yes. Oh. Some people use flour. Some people use tapioca. And you I just sprinkle the cornstarch in with the apples and cinnamon and toss it all together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. just in with the filling. Yes. Um, but that, the sugars, particularly in those juices, are so hot when it comes out of the oven uh, that you need time for the filling to kind of set and to tighten up a little bit. Otherwise, you'll have liquid everywhere, whereas if you waited... 45 minutes or an hour, um, you would be able to cut really perfect slices with like no liquid yeah. pooling in the bottom. That's why that classic sort of pie in the windowsill shot. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, all right. Well, that was delicious. And actually, by, at the, by the time our meeting ended, the pie was at a perfect temperature. And that's when I True. Those slices, in. those slices were nice triangles. Um, all right. So, Rick, let's um, let's talk pecan pie, which is my favorite pie. Thank and, you. And ki- not that difficult of a pie to make, right? Or is it? Is there a trick? Um, no, there's, it's, it's actually pretty easy. And, you know, one thing, and Claire and I disagree on this. I, I being from the South. Um, Texas. Texas. Texas the South or is Texas its own well, thing? Well, Texas is its own thing. Yeah. Uh, our state tree is the pecan tree. So there are literally pecan trees all over the state. Um, starting around end of October, uh, there are pecan stands. You can go pecan picking. So pecans and pecan pie are a very big thing for us. Not pecans. Not pecans. <laughs> um, so the if there were one pie at our Thanksgiving table, it would definitely be pecan pie. But it's it's really simple. It's a it's a really basic custard, and it can be very sweet. But you know, I also come from the land of sweet tea, so yeah. you know that's that's a thing. But you can also reduce the sugar in the custard so that it's not cloyingly sweet. So what's your basic technique? What do you do? Um, so I like to pre-bake the pie crust, and that's not a okay. that's not a typical thing. A lot of people will just dump the custard into a raw crust and then bake that. Mm, yeah, I like your – so that's called blind baking? Blind baking, so right. And that gets the bottom crust nicely browned first. Right. So then how are you making the, the quote-unquote custard then? So um, mine is a combination of corn syrup, um, light brown sugar, um, eggs and melted butter. Okay. Um, I also use a pretty decent amount of salt. There's a teaspoon of salt mm-hmm. in the in the custard itself, and I really feel like you need the uh, you need the salt to cut the sh- through the sugar, but also to bring out the nuttiness of the of the pecans. Another thing that I do is I pre uh, toast the pecans. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, because they they're not going to toast. Um, if you put raw pecans in the pie into the custard, they're not going to toast as they they bake in the and oven. And they're not going to get that nice nutty pecan flavor. No. So you definitely want to pre toast them and then the salt and the and the custard will really bring out that that dark uh, toasty flavor but you mentioned you can reduce the sugar but how do you reduce the sugar if I mean the filling is mostly sugar what do you um, so there's a half a cup of brown sugar mm-hmm. and so you can just cut that back so okay. the one that I made uh, last night I actually cut um, a quarter cup of sugar out of it um, and it's it's a lot more palatable I think um, you know to yeah. To the people in the north. Okay, so when you make pecan pie, so you you make you, you, the eggs, the sugar, the syrup, yada, yada. You throw the pecans in there. You toss it all together. It goes into the pie crust. But as it bakes, the pecans usually kind of float to the top. They do. Um, and one thing that's interesting about the custard, I, I've been to some places, like you go to Peter Luger Steakhouse in Brooklyn where they've got a really good pecan pie and it comes out piping hot. I imagine they microwave it. Um, but the 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 filling is almost um, it's almost I don't want to say clear, but it's not 
opaque. It's it's very almost gelatinous looking. And sometimes you right. get the fillings that are a little bit more custardy. Is that because of the eggs, I guess? Or it's the eggs, but they should be it should be relatively clear. It mm-hmm. should be sort of a, a dark amber caramel okay. color. It shouldn't be cloudy. No. And no. uh, not not super cloudy, mm-hmm. but um, you know, a really good uh pecan pie filling, um, if not overbaked. Mm-hmm. Um, should be really soft and gelatinous and have that nice caramel color. Um, you know, some people use dark uh, corn syrup. Some people use maple syrup. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of different syrups is the base. I like the light uh, corn syrup with the light brown sugar, and that gives you a, a nice amber color. Do you ever throw in chocolate chips or chocolate chunks into the mix? I, I don't. Um, I'm not a big fan of chocolate as a, a flavor pairing with the Thanksgiving meal. I'm not opposed mm. to um, a chocolate pecan pie. Mm-hmm. But for me, I like a really classic pecan pie for Thanksgiving. Vanilla ice cream or whipped cream? Vanilla ice cream. All right. So let's segue to the most quintessential uh, Thanksgiving pie, the pumpkin pie, which I've gotten myself into trouble before because I, I've claimed that no one actually likes pumpkin pie. That we just it's, all the, it's that obligatory thing like turkey. Well, you got to serve it. Um, I, I love pumpkin pie. As do I. But you, if you love pumpkin pie, why don't you ever bake it the rest of the year? You don't. Don't act like you do, Claire. No, I don't. But I I tend to only make fruit pies on my own. But I still love and look forward to pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. Yeah, once a year. Yeah, yeah. once a year. All right. Well, let's all right, let's talk about pumpkin pie. And it, it, you start with you always start with canned pumpkin, right? This is not like yes. a artisanal used heirlooms. Yeah, it's also a very simple custard base, mm-hmm. um, like Chris, uh, like Rick described for the pecan. So it's canned pumpkin into which you mix. Some kind of sweetener. You could do maple syrup. You could do just straight brown sugar. Sweetened condensed milk. Sweetened condensed milk, mm. which makes Heavy it a very silky, luxurious yeah. texture. Uh, and then eggs and spices. So yeah. you see pumpkin pie spice, but it's basically a mixture of cinnamon, nutmeg, so a little clove. Ginger. Can, ginger. You can get a little fancy and put cardamom yeah. in it, but those nah. those warm baking yeah. spices. And then you're doing a basic Claire Saffitz BA's best pie crust on yes. the bottom. Do you blind bake it? Always. Always. Yes. I actually grew up, my mom, Maxine Rappaport, um, she would make a pumpkin chiffon pie um, where you take, still take the libbies, but then you whip some egg whites, uh, get a little bit of gelatin, um, and you still get the, the custardy sort of thing. And so it gets a nice, fluffy, custardy sort of texture, and you do a graham cracker crust. There you go. Because you, you know what America loves? America loves graham cracker crust. That they do. Yeah. And so that's an unbaked filling. That is an unbaked filling. You and just I did chill it. it. I did it one time on the Today Show, so like when we, about five years ago, and of course I got like the angry letters. Like, you can't put in like unbaked, you know, egg yolks on TV. That's a dangerous <laughs> thing. I got, I was like, oh my God. Right. Don't, then like, don't eat it. No one's ever died at the Rappaport Thanksgiving table. <laughs> right. um, and we'd always do that with, that you have to do with whipped cream like vanilla ice cream and pumpkin pie doesn't really yeah it doesn't work. quite work. texturally right. and stuff right i think the important thing for pumpkin pie is to know when to pull it from the oven so with a custard you know it's a pretty liquidy filling and so you can really see when it starts to set in the oven it, it puffs a little bit around the edges because there's eggs in it so it just starts to souffle a little bit but you'll have this telltale wobble in the center mm-hmm. so they you don't really want to you know the problem with custard pies is that they're you're at risk of over baking them unlike a fruit pie so you don't want to you know, God forbid you curdle the eggs in your mm. pumpkin pie filling. So once you see, I sort of look at the center four inches of the pie, this kind of like with the, you know, two inch radius yep. around the center of the pie. And if it's wobbling slightly when you shake the pie, that's a good time to 
to pull it because the, it will continue baking yeah, as it rests. Residual heat. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we can find all these recipes on bonappetit.com, right? Yes, sir. So we have a great pumpkin pie recipe. We have a lot of pumpkin pie recipes. We have your classic apple pie recipe. Yes. BA's Best Deep Dish Apple. Yep. Actually, all three are BA Best. Yeah. All right. So just yeah, punch in BA's Best, pumpkin pie, pecan pie, apple pie, pie crust. It's all there for you at bonappetit.com. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thank Adam. you. All right. Finally, we're going to get Marissa A. Ross on the phone to talk about what some might argue is the most important part of the Thanksgiving dinner. Ross, are you there? I am here. Let's talk Thanksgiving wine. Every year, I go to a Thanksgiving dinner somewhere. Every year, the wine is kind of eh. And I'm like, (laughs) this is like the biggest meal of the year. Shouldn't we be drinking better than we are? I would think so. For me, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays because I love eating and drinking so much. And you get to do that unabashedly on Thanksgiving without really bringing anything else to the table. Um, So I'm happy to share some of my uh, wine tips for... uh, everyone's turkey day this year to hopefully um, enjoy better wine and more of it. All right. So let's let's bang through five rules. Marissa's five essential rules for quality wine drinking on Thanksgiving. Rule number one. Rule number one. You got to make sure you have enough wine. Um, a bottle of wine has... <laughs> Wait. Is it, even I know that. <laughs> yeah, but you got to think about it this way. All right. So a bottle of wine has five glasses. If you go by the five ounce rules, which is like what the government says you should be drinking. But I think that's a joke. Like most people want a full glass of wine, which isn't five ounces. I say Mm. um, it's four glasses of wine a bottle. It's usually what I do. And this is I'm really bad at math. So this hopefully this works out. But obviously, you also need to work within your budget. Uh, But what I try to do is I say like number of guests times the number of estimated glasses per guest, you know, like how much you think they're going to drink. And then you divide that by four. And then that's the number of bottles you need. Um, Sometimes that gets crazy. Like in my household, that would mean that I would need like 36 bottles of wine, (laughs) which obviously um, as a writer, I'm not really qualified to supply. So, you know, (laughs) tip number two, you should always get some white, some red, because you just don't know what people prefer as a host, but you always want to go with uh, wines that are really versatile and food friendly. Um, There are so many flavors on a Thanksgiving table that you really don't want a wine that is going to overpower or compete with um, the flavors that are there. Because also you don't know, just like you don't know, uh, you know, what everyone is going to drink. You also don't know what kind of plate someone is going to put together. Like me personally, half my plate is always mashed potatoes. Um, So, you know, Mm. you got to find wines that are that kind of can um, appease everyone's plate. I say go with uh, light, dry wines um, with good acidity, preferably from cooler climates. So that way they're not really jammy. They don't have too much alcohol um, and they're less likely to um, have as much sugar in them. I think that great choices are Gamay and Pinot Noir, which are pretty classic standard Thanksgiving fare. But, you know, well, let's be specific. So a Gamay is a typical wine of Beaujolais region in, yes. in France. Yep. Um, Pinot Noir would be it would be a Burgundy in France, or it could be a Pinot Noir from Oregon or Northern California, right? Totally, and you can get a Gamay now from you can get Gamays in Cal from California and from Oregon as well. Personally, I stock a lot of uh, Beaujolais Gamay on my uh, on my table. Um, I like to do a lot of light French uh, reds from the Loire and Beaujolais. Um, I really like the tartness that they kind of bring. to complement like the savory notes of a Thanksgiving dinner. And as for whites, 
I would say, you know, a dry Riesling. Gruner Veltliner is another one. I love that wine. I also love the fact that they're screw tops, which is particularly easy if you have a big crowd over and the house is a little insane. Just, you know, you don't have to worry about where where the corkscrew is. Absolutely. And they come um, in liter size often, which is awesome. And this isn't on my tip list, but... Speaking of corkscrews, always make sure you have two. Have one on the table and then have one like hiding somewhere where you know where it is because that one that's on the table is going to be gone in no time and you won't be able to find it. Um, but other white wines, you should could also you could also do an unoaked Chardonnay um, since they since it's like steel or concrete um, fermentation. Um, you're not going to have the super powerful like buttery oaky nonsense that's going to um yeah overpower the food that's on the how, table how how does one know that the chardonnay they're buying is not oaked uh, that's a good question it's hard to tell because sometimes uh, a winery will list it on their label mm-hmm. um and other times they won't uh, your best bet is to well one you could always do chablis which is uh which is uh steel fermented um but you could also always ask the people that you're buying your wine from i'm a big proponent of shopping at a wine shop um talking to people about the wines that they sell because unfortunately the guy that works at the grocery store or at the bodega probably doesn't know which wines are not oaked so go to a wine shop and ask them for uh an unoaked chardonnay is your best bet love all those options what about rule number three rule number three always make sure to have some bubbly it's fun, it's festive, and it's a holiday for God's sake. Like everyone wants to celebrate being near their loved ones. And it's always just good to have, even if you don't open it. Having bubbly in your fridge is never a bad idea because you don't know when um, a celebration might pop up. But yeah, to, to your point, it's the holidays. If you're not going to drink it now, when will you drink it? Um, and I also I've, like you, you can send it this way. I've drink it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> is it okay for me to admit that I actually, I think I enjoy Prosecco? more than champagne and not just because it's much cheaper but i just that it's kind of easier it's like lighter and crisper yeah crazy? I think, no i don't think it's crazy at all i think that people often forget that um you know every sparkling wine has a different level of like sweetness you know like there's like demisex or brutes or all this stuff so it's i think that what you're talking about is really probably more of a a sweetness thing that you that you like more about a certain prosecco what does it say on a champagne label if it if it verges sweeter so the way you can tell how sweet a sparkling wine is, is by kind of decoding um, the dry to sweet labels on the front. There's Brut Nature, um, which is, I might be saying it wrong, but that's the way it's spelled and I don't know what to tell you. Um, but it's the driest that you can possibly get. And then you got Extra Brut, which is really dry, like dry as hell. And then you got just Brut, which is dry. And then it gets a little confusing because it's like extra dry slash like extra sec is like pretty dry, but kind of sweet. And then you have dry slash sec. And that's like, oh, shit, getting kind of sweet. And then you got demi sec and you're like, oh, my God, this is super sweet. And then you have ducks. So sparkling wine, great at cocktail hour. If you want to keep it going to the meal, that's 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 certainly an option. Um, I always like to have an ice bucket going so you can kind yeah. of plunge it in there. It keeps it cold, but it also looks festive. Yeah, um, that's some good host. Those are some good Yeah, you got to look good also. Yes, um, got to have right, what, it all. What about rule number four? Rule number four, if you are a guest and you're planning on bringing wine, always ask your host if there's a specific wine they would like you to bring. Yes. Um, because, you know, I... 
I don't really cook, but I am very particular about my wine and how I pair it with what my fiance cooks. So if someone, I don't care if it's like an expensive version, but like, I would much rather you ask me, Hey, like, is there a specific, like, what kind of wine should I bring? And I can say, Oh, you know, we're doing Pinot Noir with this, this and that. Or I may say, you know, get whatever. And that's fine too. But I say, always ask your host what, um, if, if they would like you to bring a specific what? wine and then always bring a bottle that you want. Yes, like I will. Ooh, I like that. Then you know you'll drink. I but yeah. I also I also would flip it because I would say if you are hosting, take the initiative to let the guests know that hey, could you please please pick up a bottle of Gamay or Pinot Noir of your choosing? That's what we'll be serving. Absolutely. Um, you know, and then 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 you know you you covered your bases. Totally. Because um, yeah, I can't tell you how many times people show up at my house and like I know they bought this random bottle of you know whatever cabernet from the wine store on the corner oh. for 14.99 i'm like i know that bottle of wine you just picked it up and you didn't even think about it so exactly uh, put a little which, thought into it which also goes into rule number 5 because if you're hosting and people bring over wines you're not into open them wait what like number the rule no, that bleeds into rule number 5 because yeah. if you're the but host, why do you want to open them though because you don't want them you don't want a whole shelf of shitty wines mm. you're not going to drink I still have White Zinfandel in my fridge from last Christmas. I, I have that shelf in my apartment. Yeah, we all do. And so I'm not saying you have to open all of them, but more more likely than not, someone is going to bring you a shitty bottle of wine, right? You don't want that. And the likelihood is someone at your Thanksgiving will drink it. People love drinking on Thanksgiving. So even if it's not something you particularly want to pair and serve with your meal, if you open it, there's a good chance it'll still get drank. And then you're not staring at it for the next eight months. Let's review. Rule number one. What do we got? Rule number one. You want to make sure you get enough wine. Rule number two. Versatile wines. I love a Gamay. I love Uh, a Gruner. Those are my two G's. Yeah. Also, we'll add to that just like light French blends are great, like light red French blends from like Chevignet or um, anywhere from like the Loire. Those are all good choices, too, if you like Gamay, but also want to like mix it up. But yeah, you want to do rule number two, always do light food friendly wines. All right. Rule number three, something about bubbly. Have it. Have lots of it. Make sure it's around. And put it on ice. And put well, I, I, you, that can be your rule. I'm not. I'm not going to go on record saying that's my rule. But have bubbly and do what you will with it. I guess is the best <laughs> way to say that. I love rule number four about uh, making sure that the guests know what type of wine to bring. Yes. Oh, if you're a guest and you're planning on bringing wine, always ask. And finally, number five. Number five. Open that shitty wine. Let someone drink it. Let someone drink it. Because although you as the host, like me, I know for a fact people bring like terrible wines to my house and I don't fault them for it. I'm just, I'm not a snob, but I'm also not going to drink a big jammy Cabernet. It's just not going to happen. But someone will. You know what? You got an uncle, you got a cousin, you got a friend that really does not give a fuck. So open that wine. Don't keep it forever. (laughs) <laughs> Marissa A. Ross, enjoy your Thanksgiving oh, dinner. I'll, I'll, I will. Thank you. And uh, happy Thanksgiving, guys. Bye. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Carrie Polis, Emma Wurtzman, and Lily Sherman, with editing by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us about this or any episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. 
Plus, we're now offering online cooking classes with Sir Latab that feature our recipes. Sign up at bonappetit.com slash cooking classes and learn how to make everything from pork chops to molten chocolate cake. Thanks for listening.